This is Nullius in Verba, a podcast about science. What it is and what it could be. It's co-hosted by me, Smriti Mehta from UC Berkeley. And me, Daniel Lakens from Eindhoven University of Technology. In today's episode, we discuss quantification, described by statistician Philip Stark as situations in which a number is, in effect, made up and then is given credence merely because it is quantitative. We give examples of quantification in psychology, including examples of type 3 errors or errors of the third kind. We then discuss how to develop quantitative measures that are meaningful and that bridge the gap between qualitative and quantitative observations. Enjoy. The prestige of statistics as the one scientific method has naturally often led in sociology and I suspect in psychology and the other social sciences to a naive and uncritical application of quantitative measurement to mental and social phenomena. This attitude of deference to statistics has taken two widely different manifestations. The first is that of reverence for all mass data, for all facts and all information presented in numerical fashion. The second is a worship of statistical technique in its most refined minutiae, as coefficient of correlation, standard deviation of error and the higher mathematical formulae, often to the exclusion either of its applicability to the phenomena in question or its real bearing upon the hypothesis to be tested. Ernest W. Burgess, 1927 Numbers, and especially statistics, are used to influence and persuade, perhaps more often than they are used to inform and edify. Numbers carry weight by virtue of being numbers, whatever their source. Quantification describes situations in which a number is, in effect, made up, and then is given credence merely because it is quantitative. Quantification seems to be more persuasive the more complex and contrived the process of making up the number, numbers derived from survey data, from statistical formulae, and from computer models comprise large classes. So, the topic for today's discussion is quantification. Um, which I think is a word coined by um, a statistician here at Berkeley, Philip Stark. Um, I think he coined the term. And it's one of those things where you, I mean, I'm sure you have this feeling where somebody has either written something or come up with something and you're like, oh, I wish I had done that. <laughs> you know, like it is just yeah. so cool. And when you read it, you're like, oh, man, mm. I wish, you know, I wish that was me. But so I just, the first, like, I think I heard him talk, um, give a talk at the Bear Center um, here at Berkeley. And I, mm-hmm. I, I was just like, this is amazing. So I wrote to him and I thought, how cool is it um, as a concept? Because mm-hmm. you see it all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You see it all the time. He also writes about how it's like 70 year old ID, actually. And really? So maybe we can, yeah. yeah, maybe we can dive back into it. But he, he wrote about it in a paper relatively recently, mm-hmm. 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but before we get started, um, 
Daniel, I there's a list that um, Star gives of how to mm-hmm. quantify things up. <laughs> and I yeah. am going to read them to you. And like okay. we have done it pre- previously, I want you to tell me if this is something that happens in psychology or not. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. work in a field with no physics, quote unquote, so you can invent a convenient model or in a field where the physics is so complicated that you can invent a convenient simplified model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes or no? I. I have an example of, of oh. the letters that I want to start with in a bit. So yeah, um, both both can happen. Yeah, okay. Second, posit hypotheses that can't be falsified, at least not <laughs> during your lifetime, at, le- <laughs> at least not with reasonable resources. Yeah, isn't that the modus operandi <laughs> of some people? Yeah, of course. That's the way to build a, build a career. You have your theory, right. you just... Yeah, you know, can't okay, be falsified. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, check too. Um, third, say something splashy be newsworthy oh yeah i mean yeah. we have discussed this in our previous episode on uh, replication crisis yep. the sort of fed and yeah exciting new finding that's cute the cute study mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah all right number four say things people want to believe well i mean i think that happens everywhere but in in psychology we do of course yeah. cater to to some people with uh, certain desires, yeah. things they want to be true, uh, maybe more than other fields, right? Yeah. 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 And do you think it's getting worse? Like, I almost feel like it's getting a bit worse now than it was, right? Like, I, I like, I feel like people <laughs> did a lot more boring things back in the day, and now it's I, just, yeah. Yeah, I, I might have been tempted to say yes, but since we've been doing this podcast and we just find these papers from like 100 mm. years ago where people complain about the same things, oh, I am mm. more in doubt to say like, is it getting worse? I, I don't know. It feels like yeah. just need to find that paper from 1856 <laughs> where they already complain about it. So Could be, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> All right, number five, use complex models and complicated methods. The less transparent, the less people will question the result most people think complexity is a proxy for accuracy. Um, I mean, there are definitely fields where people do very simple tests, but I, I often find them more complex than um, than I like. I really like mm. simple analysis, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. simple effects and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people often build very complex models. I'm not sure if it's necessary for the questions. On the one hand, yes. Yeah, I don't know, but it happens. We have, a, we have of course, sort of complex models. Um, yeah, there are still fields where you can get away with a simple correlation or a simple yeah. t-test. I like it, mm-hmm. you know, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it is true, right? Complexity is seen as sort of, oh, you must be doing something that's more rigorous, right? Um, it, it's it's definitely often true in review that you read people who say, yeah, I, I looked at the analysis, but I'm not an expert, right. so I didn't really, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Th- I've seen that happen so yeah. often that at least the analysis are more complex in many papers than... Uh, yeah, some peers feel comfortable with. Yeah. So it happens, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like I say, if you can't convince them, confuse them. Uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> number six, I love this. Be Bayesian. With a su- what? <laughs> <laughs> with a, we're going to get canceled by the Bayesians. With, su- with a suitable prior and enough computing power, you can put small error bars on anything you want. 
Hmm. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I feel you know. We we got some we got some comments on our last uh, snobbery episode. <laughs> I want to be very careful here. But let's just say there is a term. It's called b b hacking. Oh. So not just p hacking, but b hacking. And this is an example oh, of b hacking. So if you yeah. if you tweak your prior so mm-hmm. that you know you yeah you can find whatever you want to find. I, yeah. So this is a term that exists. Yeah, nice. it's a it's I a didn't... trick. I don't know how often people do it, but it's. A worry that some people have. Hmm. Nice, yeah. Um, and not me, not me. No, I no. didn't say this. Other people Other, don't. Yeah. Don't blame us. Other people <laughs> wrote be hacking. It's not my term. Okay. <laughs> Number seven. Um, the last one. Use heroic amounts of computing. How can five mm. years of supercomputing give the wrong answer? <laughs> okay well well this does not sound no, like yeah. psychologists yeah, right i, I mean this agree. sounds probably yeah. like some somewhere in physics or yeah. whatever i mean computing power i it, maybe it will happen a little bit more mm-hmm. um, you know now with big data are, and it, stuff yeah yeah i think maybe a little bit more but not like five years yeah. of supercomputing no yeah. no not yet yeah well, with the ai stuff maybe we'll get there we'll get yeah. there yeah so no, I guess, the last one is not us yeah good good yeah so six out of seven so yeah i do think we're yeah pretty yeah, like our field especially seems like this is a bit of an issue where we are putting numbers on things, thinking mm-hmm. that they're meaningful. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's very easy to do, right? Very easy to do in psychology. Yeah. There, there are definitely some examples. And um, when I read this, one came to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so do you know the uh, positivity ratio? Have you heard of no, this? No, no, I have not. The positivity ratio is um, the idea that there is a certain tipping point um, of positive to negative thoughts Hmm. that a person has um, to live a a happy life. So, so if the if you're beyond this tipping point, you won't lead a happy life. You need a certain number of positive thoughts, mm-hmm. and those can, and then you can have a negative thought, basically. But the ratio between this mm-hmm. uh, needs to be in a certain level. And are are you ready? The correct ratio mm-hmm. is two point nine zero three. Yeah, that's the positivity ratio. Um, which uh, Wait, is a, a so to make sure I understand, does it mean that you you can have one negative thought for each two point nine positive thoughts? That is exactly okay. what it's uh, All supposed right. to. I do. see. But if it's more yes. than that, that's fine, right? Like if I have like one negative thought to each five positive thoughts, that's also fine, right? That that's perfectly fine. But if you drop under the tipping I point, see. it's bad for your yeah, uh, flor- flourishing yeah. and, mm-hmm. and happy life. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this um comes from a paper by uh, Losada and Fredrickson. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and it was published based on, I would say, now if you look at it, these, yeah, it was quantification, <laughs> yeah. a very complex sort of model. Uh-huh. And um, this is actually um, the reason that um, Nick Brown, hmm. who is a researcher, mm-hmm. um, who often, uh, I would say, probably criticizes papers in literature, mm. he looks at papers mm-hmm. and then he's, you know, trying to find. Uh, often mistakes or you know sometimes errors and those kind of things and this is um, the first moment I think or the first time where he saw a paper he was doing a master's hmm. um, we'll link to a nice article that describes this story but he was actually just doing a master's in positive psychology hmm. um, interested in this right mm-hmm. and then he came across this paper and he thought that's a very precise number Mm -hmm. you know with all the digits behind it that's very very uh, precise looked into the 
very complex sort of dynamic fluid modeling that went below this number like to compute it and uh, concluded it was just completely yeah nonsense mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. complete nonsense yeah uh, and the paper um, at least this part of the paper or maybe the whole paper has also been withdrawn mm -hmm. because the modeling wow. was extremely complex mm -hmm. um, but really meaningless and no reviewer saw this many people cited this positivity ratio and wow. it really took somebody from outside the field who were was a little bit more confident mm -hmm. in uh, complex calculations to just basically you know this is just the uh, emperor's clothes mm -hmm. yeah. pointing towards it and saying look all those complex numbers but this, this is nothing yeah this is nothing and yeah. it was withdrawn yeah. so i think that's a nice example yeah. that comes to mind of quantification yeah no that's a really great example and i there's this um really interesting study that i th i read through um in the work, like there's a blog by Tanya Lombroso, um, who's now I think at Princeton, um, and there, I mean, they did. There's this one paper where mm -hmm. they gave like participants abstracts, and they looked exactly the same, mm -hmm. except for one had a nonsensical mathematical equation. <laughs> and you see yeah. that people rate the one with the nonsensical mathematical equation as like sort of more credible, more reliable, more rigorous. Oh. And it's such a neat mm -hmm. example of like, yeah, right. As soon as you start throwing equate, like I'm sure like a lot of people, right? Eyes just mm -hmm. sort of glaze over the thing, as you have mentioned <laughs> before, right? It's like you think that, oh, they're probably doing something better because things are very complicated. Um, and you just have these, you know, anybody who and, and the problem is, of course, if you go into it like Nick Brown did, right, even as a non-expert, mm -hmm. if you put in a little bit of effort, you would be able to see, OK, yeah, this actually does not make sense. Right. But mm -hmm. that takes. Yeah, that's it's hard to do. Right. It takes a bit of effort. But yeah, that is a that is a great example. So I, I sort yeah. of joked and say that, oh, if you can't convince them, confuse them. But that implies intention. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, mm -hmm. do you think that people are doing this intentionally or it's more of a they're just doing what they're doing and they don't realize that, hey, actually, this doesn't mm -hmm. this doesn't really make sense. We're just trying to get a publication. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So whether people just have very complex models, for example. That they, think, maybe they don't yeah. even understand, right? Yeah. 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 So I think that that will happen. That will happen. Sometimes people will run models and they don't really understand what it mm -hmm. means, but they sort of then nevertheless trust the results yeah. and those might be exciting and then they just go with it. Uh, but it could also be that people are a bit strategic in um, using quite a lot of formula mm. and um, uh, convincing people. And um, I'm, I'm co-authoring a paper with some um, statisticians mm -hmm. at the moment and they're doing stuff that is definitely complex. Uh, I would say complex. And uh, and I saw, I mean, we got reviews and one of the reviewers were, was exactly, as I mentioned, like, well, I didn't completely follow all the statistics. And then um, you're sort of like, yeah. So then you basically have no other option than to trust yeah. that the numbers are correct because you can't criticize you can't, them. Right. So yeah, if you make it complex enough, I guess it yeah. can be a good trick to make people be like, well, I don't know, I can't follow it, but I just have to trust you. Yeah. Um, and you get get by basically, you know, yeah. uh, without being criticized on that. So I don't know if people do it. I mean, I am definitely not smart enough to make those complex <laughs> formula. So I, I, it's not a trick in my book, but um, yeah, yeah. If you can, maybe people will do people it. People yeah. will do it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. One of the brown, the one of the only brown bags I gave in my department. Um, one of the professors did say a few of them when they spoke said we don't. 
one said, oh, I, I can't follow all the fancy statistics, but something, something. What do the fancy statistics buy you? So she was a, <laughs> she was a pretty critical about it. A bit it. skeptical. A bit, bit yeah, skeptical. Yeah. Um, in, in presentations, it's interesting, by the way, there's this rule that if you present for a popular science audience, mm-hmm. but I, I would guess maybe it works for a psychology audience as well. Yeah. You lose 50% of oh the audience <laughs> with every formula yeah. that you present. That's the rule. That's the rule. So so if, if it's really important, you know, if yeah. your formula is really important, you can maybe put one on one slide yeah. and then you've lost 50%, but you <laughs> probably don't so want to go beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah maybe yeah. a nice filter. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> of like. But it's interesting that we use it like that anyway, that we, you know, we, we know so well that for formulas are yeah sort of difficult yeah. for people yeah right. and i mean we we mentioned in the last episode i did have formulas in my dissertation but i mean i i i do try my best to to or i did i mean i don't think i did a great job because it's right to at least explain what i think they yeah. meant or what yeah. right like and i do think it's your responsibility when you're writing yeah. or explaining things like if you know that you're sharing something that is so complex that most of your audience will not have experience with it to at least mm-hmm. try to give a little primer on like, OK, this is how you or like give them something to latch on to. Right. Hey, this is like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and this is no, how you can nice. make sense of it. So I think that's your responsibility uh, when you're doing something. And 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 the thing is. To be, able, to be able to do that, you also have to understand your method well enough to then be able to explain it sort of succinctly yeah. and clearly to somebody who may not be able to go into all the details, but it's like, hey, broadly, this is what this means, mm. right? Yeah. yeah. That's a very nice um, guideline, I would say, yeah. that you really explain all the steps because, first of all, you show that you right. understand exactly. it yourself well enough, right. and that's nice. And you help other people who want to right. uh, understand it to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And and the alternative is, of course, what uh, is more common, that you say, uh, well, of course, this leads to this uh, we leave the proof to the <laughs> right. You don't explain anything. You're just like, yeah, yeah. go and calculate it yourself and uh, good luck. <laughs> Figure it out, yeah. <laughs> hey, Nelson Verba, right? Don't take my word for it. <laughs> go do yeah. the calculation yeah. yourself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's good. It's a very good suggestion, that uh, formula. And and you could even say, um, if you think it's simple mm-hmm. um, um, and or you don't think it's worth the words, the limited words, that uh, I've never seen this, but you could put it in the appendix. Yeah. You can just say, okay, this is a bit, you know, some people might find this more complex mm-hmm, or you, mm-hmm. and then here's a little explanation yeah yeah right. yeah you put a bit of more explanation in uh, in an appendix i would appreciate that yeah because i remember when i started learning statistics i so often had to you know yeah. compute everything by hand and spend so much time on it to just try to figure out what does all of this mean mm-hmm. and do and um, i always thought yeah if you just you know put a little bit more explanation somewhere that would follow through but um it's really difficult to get into it. So something like that might actually be nice. Yeah. And you can show to a reviewer like, yeah, no, I really know this well enough yeah. that I can explain every step. Right. And that would give, even if I still don't understand it afterwards, yeah. um, it would make me a bit more comfort- uh, yeah. confident that you know what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. And A, it, sh- nice. yeah, it shows that you understand your reader or your audience, right? You know, yeah. you know that they would need a little bit of handholding with this stuff. Um, and I think it's just good practice to, yeah, be able to explain things. You know? Yeah, yeah. But in quantification, we don't do any of this. <laughs> we um, yeah. we just compute numbers, and then maybe even if we don't completely understand them, we basically just trust them mm-hmm. because they are numbers. Right. Right. Yeah. So we trust things because they have numbers, and this is sort of the thing that um yeah is being uh, criticized here in yeah. this quantification, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So if we take a look at this history. Maybe that's nice mm-hmm. to, to go back in time a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, and it is a little bit related also to the topic of snobismus we talked about. Right. Um, that, that in general, quantitative research is seen as a little bit better mm -hmm. than qualitative yeah. research. And um, um, I think that is, yeah, it's criticized for a long time. We have a nice um, paper that we will probably use as um, introduction. So people may, may yeah. have really, uh, heard it. it. Yeah. Uh, but this is a paper by Maslow from 1946, mm -hmm. so it's a while ago. And um, he basically talks about um, the difference between means centering, that's what he calls it, and problem centering. So are you really interested in a question or are you interested in just using tools, mm -hmm. certain types of tools, like quant you know, like statistics, for example, mm -hmm. for the sake of statistic and right. not for really answering your question. Right. Um, and the main point is sometimes to really answer your question. Yeah, maybe you don't need those tools or other tools. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, he writes, one of the problems of means centering, of fo focusing on the method, is means centering tends strongly to overvalue quantification indiscriminately and as an end in itself. And, and that's the important thing, I, mm -hmm. I guess, as an end in itself. And then he writes, this must be true because of the greater stress of mean-centered science on how statements are made rather than on what is said. Mm. Elegance and precision are then counterposed to pertinence and breadth of implication. This mistake has often been criticized, but its origins have been less often discussed. So he, he does this in the paper. Um, and I think, yeah, this is true, right? We are mainly interested in yeah. how you got to a certain number and not really what it means mm -hmm. or how you interpret the number. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a big problem that we'll talk about a little bit later, especially in measurement. I think it's really mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a big issue is that it's, you know, it's so easy to just create items and throw, you know, Likert scale um, numbers mm -hmm. and throw mm -hmm. and think that mm -hmm. they mean something without actually understanding yeah. right and then we do a lot of mean centering with those right you just have six items yeah. that you just created which again well, i mean i've been guilty of right we all we have all been guilty of at least in psychology without a doubt yeah mm -hmm. and so it's mm -hmm. like you know it's so easy to do and then you just mean center and you think that this number represents something and there's not yeah. a lot of you know it's not we haven't gone through the sort of whole measurement process that you need to go through to be able to meaningfully interpret those numbers right so it's it's yeah. a big issue yeah yeah, so so that's uh, there's a measurement component here, I think, you know, where we're quantifying things, but we're not sure if they mean something. Mm -hmm. And it would be good to talk a little bit about how we can prevent this mm -hmm. and how that happens. Mm -hmm. And there's a bit of a statistical component yeah. about this. And I think that in Stark's paper, he focuses a bit more on the Statistics. statistical component. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he also describes um, one way in which you can um, quantify Quantificate. Uh, is is <laughs> yeah, it also a yeah, verb? Yeah, uh -huh, I think verb? so. Yeah. Yeah. Quantificate. Uh, and, and this is nice because I, I knew this term, but I think not everybody knows this, but it's uh, called a type three error. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and a type three error is basically a situation where you um, answer the wrong yeah. question. Yeah. Exactly. It's nice. It is nice. And I'm, I still like, I'm, I have read a bit on it, and I think he's the one who I first heard it from because I think he has this like really wonderful textbook. Um, online textbook that he's created for statistics. And one of the things mm -hmm. I love about it, um, and I think it's like open on his website, one of the great things about it is, first of all, it starts with um, talking about logical fallacies, which is not mm -hmm. something you see and like talked about in statistics a lot. But it's like, no, but that's important to like remind people that, yes, statistics do get used a lot 
for fooling people. So you can't hmm. just look at numbers and then trust them, you know, on the you know hmm. on their face, but actually be like, okay, what is the argument that's being made? Right. And so mm-hmm. he goes through like what we would go through, like an introduction to logic class of like logical fallacy. Uh-huh. So that's actually, I think, an excellent way to start a statistics class. If I ever teach one, I will do that. Um, okay. But then the other thing is this type three error, which is yeah, some combination of your you you might have. Right. So type one error is OK. You thought there was something, but it's not. Type two is you didn't you thought there was not something, but there is. And type mm-hmm. three is like you might have gotten the right answer, but for the wrong reason. Right. Mm-hmm. You're either asking mm-hmm. the wrong mm-hmm. question the link between your statistical hypothesis and your substantive hypothesis is not one to one, right? There's some mismatch there. Yeah. So you could be running these models and accidentally getting the right answer. But that chain mm-hmm. of right, the derivative chain is like not not precise or not exact. Like there's some something wrong there. So it's yeah. it's a good, it's an in, yeah, it's something I think, yeah, we should also talk about a little bit more in our field because you see it all the time, right? People are mm-hmm. their hypotheses are so sort of removed from how they're doing the test or what test they're running. And so that your yeah. interpretation is now completely moot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and when I read back about this, um it's one of the things I found interesting is that the term, I'm not sure if it's coined like this the first time mm-hmm. but okay one of the early papers that i knew about this is by kimball in 1957 mm. uh, and he talks about this and i'll give you an example uh, what he talks about in terms of a type 3 error mm-hmm. so he writes many of us, oh maybe i should first say um <laughs> it is a paper about it's not a paper about a researcher doing the wrong thing it's a paper about statistical consultants oh giving the wrong advice wow. to the people who are doing the research. Mm. So that's the problem because people might think, mm. okay, type three error is problematic. It means that my, as as you say, my statistical hypothesis is not in line with my theoretical mm-hmm. hypothesis. Mm-hmm. They don't line up. Mm-hmm. So maybe to make sure that I do a good job, I should go to a statistician and uh. ask for help. But he's basically describing how, as a consultant, you actually give the wrong advice because you're not invested enough. You don't right. ask like, wait, wait, but what do you really, what are you really doing? So yeah, it's interesting. So that they might not help us, but he gives an example um, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll read it. So he's, he writes, many of us in good faith have helped research workers make t-tests or compute analysis of variance or design experiments thinking we were giving the right answer to the right problem. Mm-hmm. And usually we do give the right answer to the question that is asked. Unfortunately, it often happens that the question asked has little bearing on the real problem <laughs> and we are led into committing the third kind nice. of error. So that's what he says. And um, yeah, he has some examples that I think are pretty interesting where um, he will talk to somebody mm-hmm. on the phone. He describes, yeah, we just have a phone consult. And then somebody says, look, this is my data, blah, blah, blah. And then he do- they do something. And then he sees the analysis a little bit later, often by accident. Mm -hmm. So he also describes like, yeah, the only type three errors that we identify are the ones where we figured out it was an error. Many just go unnoticed. And then he, yeah, he gives advice. He says, okay, you have these, these numbers, you should do this test. And then later realize, oh, wait, but they're dependent, Mm -hmm. these these observations. Mm -hmm. No, no, then you shouldn't have done this, right? So they're really these kind of mistakes. And very often because they're not committed enough as a consultant, they're just like, oh, what an annoying, kind of boring question by this researcher. Now I have to help them. Okay, well, let's just say this and then they'll quickly go away and it's probably good. Well, that's that's a bit uncharitable. And I will, it's not even that they might not be, well, it's possible, it's certainly true that they're not invested, but it is, 
it is also true that nobody knows your work as well as you do, right? To to mm. be really be able to understand what you did and what that, right? Like there's things that, are, and you know, it might be just honest mistake where researchers are not sure that, oh, they need to mention something or something that might be relevant that, relevant that would change the analysis. Yeah. So it's a lot of like, which brings me to yeah. a question I want to pose now, because we do talk mm. about specialization, right? That people might have different mm-hmm. proclivities and we should try to specialize more. Wouldn't this be an mm-hmm. argument against doing that? Because you know yeah. your work better than anybody, yeah. like how the things were done, what exactly were the, was the process, what was the was the mechanism you're trying to get at. So you are in yeah. probably a better position than anybody else to be able to do the statistics well. So should we maybe not try to specialize where somebody else is doing the statistics? Because, they, because then you will have a lot more miscommunication mm-hmm. between people who are, you know, creating, you know, the experimenter and the statistician, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a perfect example of a case where specialization has negative yeah. effects. So in the past, we've been quite yeah. positive about it because it builds specific expertise, right. time to build this expertise. But then the downside is, yeah, you have to communicate with the people actually right. doing the research and you might not have all the details. So, right. um, I mean, I think um, in, the cons- in the paper by Kimball, he writes a lot about how we probably need to do much more internships where you're really mm. sort of embedded among a certain group. And I could see that happens. So he, he gets a lot of, he discusses his own examples, his mm. own mistakes basically mm. in the paper. And, and it goes from all over the place, you know, often very much outside of his expertise right. uh, in terms of fields, like he's biostatistician, I mm. think. And uh, yeah, he'll get a physicist come by or something. And yeah, so I think there's something to say for being embedded in a certain research unit, not just in the statistics department, but maybe you should be at the medical department mm. and you talk to these people about their research during coffee breaks and lunch, something like that. But yeah, it's a, a good point that this is a downside of specialization. Right. But you also make mm. a good counterpoint, which is that, yeah, maybe you would not specialize just in statistics, but at least with you can have, you know, statisticians for the, you know, Biomedical sciences mm-hmm. and then for the social sciences, right? Mm-hmm. So that you mm-hmm. maintain some of that, but you also understand the context um, for your particular discipline. Yeah. So it could yeah. be like a specialized, yeah, broader specialization. Yeah. 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 Well, one thing I liked about the paper by um, Stark is he is a broad researcher. Yeah. He's yeah. not he's not working on any specific field. Right. He's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but regrettably for us, it means that he also reads psychology sometimes. <laughs> and uh, in terms of type three error, yeah. he, he takes an example of a type three error, which uh, we we briefly mentioned this in the past, but it is the many analyst project Mm -hmm. so this came across his radar and it's actually the example he gives as a type 3 error and i have to say he is a little bit harsh about our many analysts project yeah i'll i'll give you a quote Uh uh, but you know prepare yourself he writes this study uh, the many analysts paper this study was a great example of reproducible research in that the data models and algorithms were made available to the public. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it was also a great example, 29 great examples, (laughs) of how not to model data and how to misinterpret statistical tests. (laughs) And then he says, it is no wonder that the teams came to differing conclusions since everything is simply invented from whole cloth with no scientific basis for any of the models, this analysis is a type 3 error. So, yikes. Yeah, that is, yeah. Well, he doesn't wince words. You gotta gotta appreciate Mm. him for that. Mm. But, uh, yeah, 
that's uh <laughs> yeah so yeah and his point is really that the people are just running models yeah. basically without carefully thinking but what is my question actually right. here and you know he discusses it in a bit and i think it's a fair discussion um but definitely i have the feeling that yeah i don't know to what extent the many analysts find different results due to the fact that yeah they're just answering the wrong question but mm. it's interesting to think about whether uh, some of the variation in that paper mm -hmm. is really because people are answering the wrong question and yeah. not they're all answering the right question in different ways no so that's the point i think and yeah it's an interesting um thing to think about whether this is a type 3 error he's very convinced about it hmm. in any case so yeah. Yeah. yeah and it sort of goes back to like our conversation about cargo cult statistics, right, which is also from mm -hmm. Stark, is that if you've just been mm -hmm. used to doing things, right, like there's some models that you are have more facility with because you've been doing them. And so you just repeat them again without, again, thinking, oh, does it actually line up with the question that I'm trying to answer? Or in this mm -hmm. case, like here, they might be trying to answer. They might have a different. Yeah, but it. It sort of all goes to show that I think there's so much work that should get done before you get to the point where you're running your model, right? A lot more thinking, mm -hmm. a lot more like making sure that we're all on the same page about what questions we're asking and how we're asking them, um, mm -hmm. which I think can mm -hmm. often be missing, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as we get like mm -hmm. data in our hand, it's like, oh, look, numbers, like, well, let's, just, let's go crunch them, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I think it's easy to jump to it. And yeah. Then, uh, yeah, just treat them as very meaningful right. and, and scientific. And um, and also, um, yeah, maybe uh, he he says this, um, yeah, this sort of lack of doubt about about these analyses, mm. um, and and that we just trust them in a way that is almost naive. Mm -hmm. um, moving on from the type three error, which is one way to do quantification, mm -hmm. he, he writes about another, which is related to what you said about. Yeah, he draws a comparison between statistical models and conspiracy theories. <laughs> it's really an interesting paper. I mean, I, I yeah. don't know. It goes all over the place, but it's quite... Um, and, and there he says that in terms of conspiracy theory, sometimes we just um, trust uh, models without challenging them. So mm -hmm. we are the conspiracy theorists, yeah. basically. We The model is the conspiracy. Um and then he, he writes something that I also found interesting, um, that, uh, for example, if you say something like science is real, hmm. yeah, which we might say as a scientist, but he doesn't like it. He thinks that is just believing in it too much uh, without uh, doubt. Hmm. He says science is real used as an unreflective slogan that considers scientific results to be trustworthy and credible, regardless of the quality of the underlying data and the methodology conflicts of interest and agenda is emblematic so that he uses an example of uh, trust in quantified hmm. things right mm -hmm. yeah well no i mean i would say we don't say science is real I, at least i would not say that in the sense that science is a process right it's not a thing it, mm -hmm. it's like saying mm -hmm. dancing is real well that's a weird. I mean, it's. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, it's a weird way to say it because it's not a thing that exists. It's a process that you can go through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you do that process well, right, then you don't have this problem. But I think, um, and just maybe to add a sentence to clarify it more, um, he he writes like conspiracy theories. Models purport to reveal the underlying causes of complicated uh, complicated phenomena. Both offer an authoritative 
explanation mm -hmm. of what we see, even when there are countless conflicting explanations that fit the data equally well. Mm. Both are well suited to reinforcing pre-existing belief mm -hmm. through confirmation bias. Yeah. Neither generally gets much stress testing. So that is his problem. If you just say science is real, we have to believe it because this is science. That is not good. If it has been stress tested, you mm -hmm. know, then, okay, then you can believe in mm -hmm. science. That's so what you say, the process, right? If the process has been done well, mm -hmm. then we should be able to believe in it. But sometimes we just say, no, they came up with a number. And I think you recognize that sometimes in discussions, right? Where people, some people disbelieve certain science and mm -hmm. other people want to defend it. Mm -hmm. And basically on both sides, mm -hmm. The one side is the conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. but the other side is just like, no, but it's science, so it's real. Right. You know? Yeah. And and then, yeah, just because there are numbers and you have to admit that sometimes, yeah, the models are not correct or whatever, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I think that is really the tricky thing is, right? Like, if you need to understand, like, because oftentimes, as we're talking about, you do have to trust the interpretation of the people who yeah. are giving you the number, right? Because otherwise, you would have to go through everything with like a fine tooth comb to make sure that the way they're interpreting the numbers is correct. And this is something mm -hmm. I struggle with a lot, especially, I mean, the more you understand about statistics and sort of the mathematics that underlies it, you're like, oh God, like, it's just like, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. like a house of cards. Mm -hmm. It's just assumptions built on assumptions built on assumptions, yeah. right? Yeah. And I am saying, hey, I found this number from my model, but what does that really mean, right? Yeah. But but yeah. like you can't do that for everybody, right? I recently said it to somebody that and the way I put it is like the only person stand the only thing standing between my numbers and your understanding of them is me. Right? <laughs> like everything you understand about the numbers I'm giving you is yeah. is my is my interpretation of these numbers. <laughs> and <laughs> un unless you're going to go through all of it in like a lot of detail, yeah. which nobody has the time or, you know, the inclination to do, then you just have to trust my interpretation. And that's yeah, it's it's a really big challenge that I'm not even sure how to deal with, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that is definitely the challenge of yeah. quantification right. because sometimes we just trust the number. Yeah. And it makes sense because, yeah, you can't be an expert in everything. But I think it also means that we need to find a way to make sure that all numbers have been checked by somebody who is an expert. And, and this is interesting because um, there are some journals now that have statistical reviewers mm. uh, so dedicated people who will look at the statistics and i think exactly because too often some reviewers write um okay well i didn't really completely understand the statistics so i can't say anything about it but i think even more often people are too embarrassed to mm. write oh. that they did not completely understand the right. numbers right think back about that paper with the positivity ratio mm -hmm. i mean Nobody who read that could have understood it because if you would have understood it, you would have realized right. that it's nothing. Mm -hmm. So by definition, the people who read it didn't understand it. So and probably they just didn't say or maybe they did say it. But yeah, I don't know. There was nobody who looked in it. And and this, I think, with open review is kind of nice. If we have open reviews, you can go into a paper and say, did, did people actually how much did they stress test mm. the quantification part of this paper? Um, and you can at least see it. Because otherwise, you just have to hope that an expert has checked it. And um, yeah, and that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't always happen. So I think that's an interesting component of this uh, to solve the, yeah, the problem of believing numbers too much. Yeah. And I would maybe 
mentioned like a maybe a slightly different approach here, which is not that we need more. I mean, that is definitely a good thing to have more experts, um, you know, more statisticians who are looking at it, making sure you've done things right. But also putting more emphasis on the substantive scientific part of it, right? Like, so if I give somebody a test and I get a number at the end, I should have like a line of argument about how I got to that number, right? What are the qualitative steps that I took to make sure that, okay, I'm giving students this, which maybe goes into more into the measurement part of it, but it's like, okay, I should have, you know, a good process that I can describe where I'm like, okay, this is how we assign, you know, found these items and this is how we assigned these numbers. This is how we got to the score a lot more. Yeah. And then tying it back to what it means scientifically for my theory, right? Or yeah. or the thing or the variable that I'm studying. So I think yeah. I think there's a lot more of this sort of qualitative, substantive, mm-hmm. you know, part of the scientific process that I guess lost because you just go from yeah. we just did something and then here's the numbers and this is what it means. But I think it has to be sort of a bit more of an iterative process where you're being where you're sort of changing your theory based on what you see, but you're tying it back to the substantive hypotheses and the substantive um yeah, yeah constructs. Yeah. I think that's kind of important. I think it's a very good point. So there's this trade-off between like the numbers and basically the qualitative yeah. interpretation right. that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And and one consequence of what has happened in psychology in terms of uh, quantification mm-hmm. in psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I also read read a paper by Brouwer about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's titled the, the Problem of Quantification in Psychological Science, mm-hmm. uh, ni- 1949. And he also points out that you have this sort of conflict between over trusting certain numbers and then treating qualitative analysis mm. as weak, mm-hmm. you know, as a weaker thing. But you need to translate the numbers back yeah. into something right. meaningful. So you need to have this connection. Yeah. Um, but if if the um yeah, if we like numbers so much and we think that that is science, mm-hmm. then we think the qualitative, right? You create a big divide. Yeah between the quantification part that you're doing in your paper and the qualitative interpretation part of it. And yeah, that's a, a, a nice paper by Brouwer where he also says, yeah, we're, we, we create this divide through the quantification in psychology. We've created this divide and we need to make sure that we can bridge it mm-hmm. in some way. He's not negative about quantification. Definitely says quantification is a very important part mm-hmm. in the scientific uh, process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same with Maslow, by the way. Mm-hmm. It also says this quantification part is very important, but we should not lose the other um, part, basically. And and that is getting lost yeah. a little bit, I, I feel as well. Yeah, I agree. And this is what people sometimes call sort of physics envy, that there's a lot mm-hmm. more emphasis on sort of numbers and quantification at the, you know, um, mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. cost of sort of focusing on more of the substantive theoretical aspects of the research that you're doing. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, Brower has a, a paragraph. I'll briefly read a sentence. He says, um, "Those who tend to almost idolize quantitative methods function in their work as if the following were synonyms: measured, objective, scientific, empirical, <laughs> experimental, and as though the following likewise were identities: non-quantitative, speculative, Freudian. <laughs> I mean, this is 1949, right? <laughs> Mystical, clinical, and unscientific. Ooh, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He, he, he says both academic and clinical psychologists hurl the epithet at each other mm-hmm. of either being unscientific through failure to adequately use numbers mm-hmm. or for being unscientific for failure to work 
with meaningful problems. Mm. Uh, and it's surely time for a fusion of emphases yeah. uh, as between quantification for its own sake and the neglect of the positive virtues of statistics. So there's mm. good parts about statistics mm -hmm. you should lose, which I mean, some other people criticize, you know, the quantification part, but he says, no, bridge it basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good point, uh, a good thing to do a little bit more of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that I think bridges it, if we're mm. ready to go there, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course. Is because we were going to talk about this measurement approach um, mm -hmm. that one of my advisors, Sir Mark Wilson, has sort of, I mean, it's, you know, in the measurement psychometrics world, um, we kind of know of it, but I think he provides a very nice framework for how to do measurement, which really focuses on this tying the two together, um, mm -hmm. which I think can be really useful. And I, I want to sort of describe it because I think even when I sort of first learned about it, it seems so sensible. And you're like, yeah, this is how we should be thinking about measuring <laughs> things. Um, and mm -hmm. so it is a very nice approach. Um, and so Mark calls it, um, again, this is Mark Wilson um, here at Berkeley. And so he really talks about, and I do think that we talked about it a little bit last time of like thinking of qualitative and quantitative not as two separate things but a sort of part of a continuum you always start even in physics and stuff like in measurement mm -hmm. at any rate you always start from the qualitative and then slowly you progress over to the quantitative um so mark does a really good job of sort of describing this construct what he calls a construct modeling approach um and it, it is a very sort of evidence-based approach so you first start with an idea you have a theory for your construct and then you use evidence to actually iterate and cycle through this process and make amendments to your constructs um, and what it actually means, right? So you're trying to, and this is a tricky thing, right? You're trying to understand something at the same time as you're measuring it, which does pose a challenge, but you have to be able to do it in a way that is a bit more scientific and evidence-based. So the idea is that you want any measure that you have to be both objective. So he talks about objectivity which I think what we would call construct validity, right? Are you actually measuring the thing that you think you're measuring? And then intersubjectivity, which is what we would sort of call generalizability, right? Does it generalize across times and people? Um, and he mentions in his book a very nice, like it's a, a like a, from the US National Research Council. This is how they also recommend thinking about educational um, research. And it'll especially assessment um, in psychological research. So they provide this triangle, which I think is a nice start starting point, the NRC assessment triangle. Um, and there's a quote from there, which is, first, every assessment is grounded in a conception or theory about how people learn what people know and how knowledge and understanding progress over time. Second, mm -hmm. each assessment embodies certain assumptions about which kinds of ob observations or tasks are more likely to elicit demonstrations of important knowledge and skills from students. Third, every assessment is premised on certain assumptions about how best to interpret the evidence from the observations in order to make meaningful inferences about what students know and can do. So there's this triangle that has cognition, observation, and interpretation on each end yeah. that they recommend. And so Mark's mm -hmm. approach touches on all of them. But the idea is you should be thinking about, okay, what is, first of all, what is, yeah, what does it look like in people's head, right? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a cognition. How can I get to it, right? What can I, what are the tasks or like, what is the appropriate way of getting at those things? 
right? That's your observation. In, in terms of, yeah, exactly, observation. In terms yeah. of observation, mm-hmm. right? What observation would get me to the thing that I'm trying to get at? And then how do I interpret that meaningfully? Yeah. So Mark has translated that into what he calls sort of, um, the, the, in this framework, they're called four building blocks. And I will briefly mm-hmm. explain them. Now I feel like I'm giving a lecture. Which is kind of odd. <laughs> <laughs> but this is very interesting. So go on. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, of course. So the four building blocks, um, and it's meant to be a cycle. So you're meant to iterate mm-hmm. through all of that as you're creating a measurement. And one of the things I do yeah. like about it is that he really pushes you to first focus on one thing, right? Mm-hmm. We want to measure one thing and one thing only. And you start with what's called a construct map. And this Mm -hmm. you can think of almost as a visual representation of your theory. So Mm -hmm. let's say I want to measure optimism, Mm -hmm. right? The first thing you do in the construct map is to very carefully define what you mean by optimism. And then the idea is if you're, I mean, you could have eventually, you know, obviously end up with a multidimensional construct and that is totally fine. But I think as a starting first step, you should be like, okay, I'm, I need to pinpoint one thing that I'm measuring, one thing that could be placed on a continuum, right? Because the end result that I want from this measurement process is to almost create a scale the way you would think of a physical scale, right? Like this yeah. one single measurement that has that is equally spaced, right? I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, when, I mean, the first thing in, you know, stats classes is like, okay, ordinal, nominal, you know, mm-hmm. interval ratio, and mm-hmm. then you learn about it and then you forget about it, right? Like nobody actually talks like, oh, are these Likert scale, uh, you know, items that we're using? Do they actually represent, like, we treat them as interval ratio, but are they really, right? Are they evenly spaced? Does, you know, a difference of two mean the same thing across the scale? But the idea Mm -hmm. here is, like, you really want to have something where you're placing it on a continuum as a scale, going from the lowest to the highest, right? So at the bottom of the scale, you're like, oh, this is, what does it mean for something for you to have, like, no optimism? And what would it look like when you have the highest amount of optimism, yeah, so you really carefully describe not just the concept, you don't just define it, but you also really carefully describe, yeah, what would be yes. all sorts of intermediate, more or less continuous steps of having yes. this thing. Yeah, yeah. And there is a qualitative mm-hmm. aspect to it, um, which he calls, I mean, used to call levels, now they're called waypoints, because <laughs> one time he was like, mm-hmm. I realized in one chapter I had used the term level in four different ways. <laughs> so he's like, I realize I have to come up with a different name for it. But you can think of it, okay, we think that there's an underlying continuum that's a single thing, but then you give qualitative labels and you say, I think that there are these qualitative levels of my construct and I will name them. And then I can test them later on to see, hey, does my construct actually show the existence of these levels, right? So if I think I have, right, if you have something like, like expertise on something, you could be like, okay, I, I'm going to label them, you know, novice and beginner and intermediate and expert. And then you actually look at the data. Yeah. Does the data line up with with those, right? Because it could be that you have, yeah. you need more levels or you need fewer levels and then you can combine them. Um, yeah. So you do, there's still a qualitative as- aspect to it. But the great mm-hmm. thing about the construct map is that he sort of forces you to, and it is, it's very hard to do when you're doing it because you're like, I don't know. But you, you're really, the idea is you have a continuum and you're trying to place on either side of it, okay, what are my levels on, on one mm-hmm. side? So let's say the left-hand side. You say these are, I think, the levels are. And on the right side, you place, what do I think somebody who's at that level would do or say or, mm-hmm. or feel or think, right? So you, you try to be yeah. as explicit as you possibly can be about mm-hmm. what would it mean to be at this point on this continuum. Yeah. And it's not an easy process. Like it takes you yeah. know a lot of effort and you're... Yeah, it can be very challenging. But, but of course, yeah. it, 
it doesn't have to come from nowhere, right? You, right, you don't have right, to start from right, scratch. Right. I mean, you might have done some observations right. or some interviews yeah. or whatever. You have some data you to have some, kickstart this, right? right? Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Ho- Maybe not, but hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Or some literature review, right? Just trying to read through yes. things that have existed before on optimism, for example, right? And think that, okay, this is what mm-hmm. I think it means. It's a really helpful exercise, as difficult as it may be, to be very explicit about what am I measuring? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? What are people at the different points on this continuum look like? So that's the construct yeah. map. Um, that's the first thing. And it's sort of the thing that we're going to come back to over and over again, right? Everything has to tie back to it because that is, in a way, I mean, in science, we're making arguments, right? The whole point is that we're making mm-hmm. arguments. We're saying, oh, we think this is the case. Now we collect data and show that, oh, is it the case or is it not the case? And this also takes the same approach, right? Your construct map is essentially your hypothesis. Um, mm-hmm. It's the argument. And then now you have to find arguments for it. Like, how do I, you know, and then you come back to it and be like, did the data that I collect, like, did it actually validate what I thought? Or do I need to change it in some way? Um, mm-hmm. So the second building block is the items design. So that's the observation mm-hmm. part. And th- yeah. this might seem a, a bit more straightforward because this is what m- most of us start with, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. right? When we're yeah. developing or figuring yeah. out how to measure something is like you just go straight to like just write a bunch of items, right? Yeah, um, this is actually how, how people have recommended measurement, right. de- measure development to me. <laughs> like just come up with all sorts of items you can think of that would be remotely related to the thing. And then you're good. You're That's just the good starting to go. point. Yeah, exactly. So this is a bit more, but you know, of course, in this approach, you would think about, okay, w- what would be more appropriate for me to get to the construct that I'm trying to get at? Like, would I, would I, should I yeah. do a task? Should it be like, mm-hmm. you know, f- field observations? Should it be asking people items? Is it going to be an interview mm-hmm. that then we code? Right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Thinking about and also relating relating to the different levels, right? Exactly. Because you have those in your exactly. mind. Exactly. You want to get at those yes. different levels with the measurement tools very, or the observations, basically. Very, yeah. very good point. Very good point. So when you're designing your items, you should be thinking about, oh, I want to be able to capture everybody mm-hmm. that's falling on any point on this continuum, right? So you have yeah. to design items. I mean, we don't think about this in our, um, the way we do things, because for us, all items are, you know, Equal difficulty, mm-hmm. right? We treat them that way when mm-hmm. we're doing mm-hmm. just a simple, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, um, factor analysis or whatever. But but here we do, especially because it comes from this sort of education research domain, is like some questions mm-hmm. are harder and some questions are easier. And we're yeah. and when you're doing sort of attitudinal measures, you can think of as some questions are easier to agree with and some questions are harder to agree with. So one good yeah. example that yeah. I, I ran a couple of years ago, like um, did a replication of a study where they, they, we had used um, Interestingly enough, Mark was an author on <laughs> that paper, but it was like this um, ecological behavior scale, and it was almost mm-hmm. like a behavioral instrument where they asked people, have you done this? Have you done that? And you might imagine, right, throwing away or recycling your plastic bottles is a mm-hmm. lot easier for people to agree to than, like, have you installed solar panels Yes, in your, yes. right? And I- yeah. And I actually know these examples from colleagues of mine. Yeah, they're, this is a Dutch, things. oh, this is a Dutch psychologist, yeah. Henry Kaiser? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he, w- he used to work. Yes. He used to work in my department. Nice yeah. link. Nice link. Kaiser, and yeah. and one of his former students right. is now a colleague of mine, nice. Anto Hans. He's yeah. a, and, and this is like rush modeling. Yeah, it's yeah. called rush mm-hmm. modeling. Yeah. And uh, he, he is like, my colleague is such nice. an advocate that everybody in our department, like when you say rush modeling, everybody's yeah. like, yeah, that's good stuff. Um, and people would, yeah, indeed develop these items. Like, yeah, um, putting solar panels in your roof is, um, yeah, yeah, if you agree yeah. that this is important, it's much 
much more much effortful than uh, yeah. separating trash or something right. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when we're, you know, when we are studying things like optimism or happy, right? Like mm. we don't think about, oh, some items are harder than others. But in this, do- like no. the in IRT modeling, item response modeling, Rosh modeling, yeah. they think a lot about, okay, items are at the difficulty. And yeah, what's great about this is once you have this continuum and you end up creating a map, which is called a right map, you think, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, then you place both the items and the people on this continuum and you can almost mm-hmm. think of it as like how much of the construct does a person have, right? How much optimi- mm-hmm. how optimistic a, a person is, th- then they would be yeah. placed somewhere on the continuum based on that. But there's a certain amount of construct. I mean, it's, it's like the terminology sort of breaks down because, they're, you know, they're not analogous. But you can think of, okay, there's a certain amount of construct that the item has. And you can place an item also mm-hmm. on this continuum of like, okay, these are easier to agree with. So they're lower on the construct. And when they're harder to agree with, right? Like the then they would be higher on the construct. And so you want to make sure that you're capturing all the whole levels of the construct when you're writing the items. So it's yeah. a good point that you bring so, up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so far you've really tried in this process to first of all, make sure that you don't make this type three error yes. kind of problem, right? Because you're really sure that the thing you're yeah. asking about is directly related to the thing you're interested mm-hmm. in. And, and then also not that your measure is a, a fake, meaningless measure mm-hmm. or something, right? The yeah. quantification part there is just like, no, you very carefully yeah. link to all these different levels. Mm-hmm. And of course, we will then yeah, start yeah. to measure those. Yeah. And we will put numbers yeah. on those different levels, but we also have the items to do that right. in a meaningful way. That's where we're going to, right? Yes. And and yeah, the thing to keep in mind is like, this is all qualitative up until this mm-hmm. point, right? Mm-hmm. Even until the next mm-hmm. point, it's all qualitative. Like, it's just thinking carefully about this process. And I think then yeah. you have an argument to make that, oh, the number that I get at the end is a meaningful number that ties back mm-hmm. to my construct, right? Mm-hmm. And this is sort of the mm-hmm. argument that you're making by going through this process. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and somebody, mm-hmm. somebody like, like Maslow would be really happy with you because <laughs> you are like, you know, in terms of the means centering or the problem yeah. centering, you have a problem, you carefully think about right. the problem, you carefully think about the means right. that will allow you to answer the problem. Yeah. It's not like, you know, they're very well yeah. linked, together, linked together through this process, basically. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Through this process. Okay. So then we have the items design, um, which is observation. And then we come to the out- outcome space. That's the third building block. Mm-hmm of measurement outcome Mm -hmm. space Mm -hmm. and this is one that took me the longest to to sort of wrap my head around because it's not something we really think about um Mm -hmm. but the idea is you can almost think of the outcome space as it's sort of what are all the possible responses that i could get like Mm -hmm. what is the whole like space of possibility of response which again we don't think about because our responses are you know (laughs) one just you know strongly disagree to seven strongly (laughs) disagree and that's it right there's nothing Mm -hmm. else but you can imagine right if you if you're doing a qualitative interview and then now you have to code it Mm -hmm. you have to think Mm -hmm. about okay what are all the possible responses that i could get in response to this question and how would i score them like how would i label them what would that mean so you have to think yeah. about all the range of possibilities in your in what the possible outcomes are. Or if you're doing like a field observation, right? What are the all mm-hmm. the possible things you could see? And how would you then tie them back to your constructs, right? How would you label yeah. it? It's almost like thinking of a rubric, right? When you have like mm-hmm. an essay or something, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. give a rubric mm-hmm. and you say, okay, yeah. you know. Now that's such a nice example because I think most of the time where we do this process, is, process yeah. the best is, is in our education. <laughs> yeah. When we make exam questions that right. are a bit more difficult and a bit easier and we have our rubric and we carefully think, okay, wait, what are the mm-hmm. things? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So outcome space would be for your construct. You're saying, okay, this is, you know, all the levels. And then a scoring guide would be, okay, what are for each item you should mm-hmm. ideally have. And this is true for people who do, again, more qualitative. Like, if, for example, if you have an interview and you need raters, you need to be able to train mm-hmm. them on how to write because you need consistency across people. Of course, in yeah. education, it's done a lot, right? But you need to make sure they're consistent. So you need you need to, like, document very carefully, okay, these are all the possible things you might see. This is this is what it would look like. And then you have a scoring guide for each item, which is like, okay, if you get a response like this, you would label it that. If you get a response like, this is what a po- possible response looks like, and this is how it mm-hmm. would be coded. Um, and so laying it all out very carefully about, okay, for each item, what is yeah. it, you know, what are the possible r- responses and how do they map back on to mm-hmm. your... And the, this is even qualitative at, at this point, right? You could just yeah. say, oh, I have these five waypoints and a response mm-hmm. like this maps onto this waypoint, right? Yeah. And a ma- mm-hmm. and a response like this maps onto this waypoint. So this is what you're doing at this process. Of course, we we you know automatically would think of oh, if I have five you know qualitative levels, yes. it's just one, two, three, four, five, right? And it's much easier yes. to do. But yeah. at least, but you could do it. You could do it in a qualitative yeah, research, absolutely. Uh, as well, yeah, right? So absolutely. it doesn't have to be quantitative yeah. yet. But yeah, but I will yeah, say yeah. that they're meant to be ordered, right? The the yeah. the waypoints, the levels are meant to be ordered going from you yeah. know, zero, you know, going to the lowest level to the highest level with at the increasing level of the construct. Um, mm-hmm. So here, the, but but the, the thing is, we, we, we can be more sure here that a four means a four in this yeah. continuum, right? Than if you just mm-hmm. randomly, because we talked about it earlier, right? If you give somebody a Likert scale, it's like, how do you know their four is the same as somebody else's four, right? Here, yeah. here the, and, and we are sort of shirking some of our responsibility when we do that because you're essentially telling the participant to score their own answer, right? Mm-hmm, As opposed to if mm-hmm, we got qualitative mm-hmm. responses for them, then we have to do the scoring and it's like, oh, this response belongs at this level, yeah, right? So yeah. we sort of give a lot yeah. of that responsibility up. Um, as psychologists. As psychologists, right? yes, uh, as psychologists. Yeah, yeah. In, in education, you would do a better yeah. job at yeah. uh, creating the items and computing their scores. You yes. don't say, just rate yourself for this <laughs> yeah. exam. Just give yourself a grade. Yeah, exactly. You know? No, we actually do something yeah. to make sure you're that like, we know what their grade is. <laughs> you're like, here's an item. Can you answer this or not? Yes, no. You're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Are you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the outcome space um, and scoring guides for each item. So again, you're... Um, mm. Mm-hmm. And one other thing, I think we've, I don't know if we've mentioned in, in the podcast, but you and I have discussed like Gutman scaling is a good alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, no, 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 it hasn't come up yet. In the yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah Gutman scaling no, is no. is good, um, which again, you know, I was introduced to in Mark's house and we've talked about it. Is It's a good alternative to Likert scale items because mm-hmm. e- instead of going mm-hmm. from, you know, one to seven and numbers and you don't know what the numbers mean, you turn mm-hmm. those levels into qualitative statements. So that mm-hmm. the person is not just randomly picking a number and we don't know what they're actually thinking when they're picking a number, um, you know, yeah. but you're actually yeah. saying, you know, I mean, uh, what could it, I mean, I can't even think of like for optimism, it could be I am, you know, very hopeful for the future, you know, at the, mm-hmm. at the lowest level of, you know, I have no hope left for the future all the way at the top to, you know, I think that the future is going to be wonderful. It's not a great yeah. example, but at least you're being you know, more explicit in what you mean, what you think each level means, and then giving yeah. people those five options instead of just numbers one to five, strongly agree or not. It A, yeah. forces you to be clear on, again, mapping your level to the item, mm-hmm. to, to whatever the item is saying. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, yeah. yeah. The, the link no, between, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's really great. And I remember you mentioning this the first time just in a, in a, a conversation mm-hmm. about your research. I mean, you went like you're describing these steps, but this is also stuff you've done right. during your own PhD, yeah. right? In I mean, not very well, but I have done it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember like this Goodman skill. And you're just like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Why didn't I hear about this before? Yeah. Why did I only hear about, uh, you know, Likert skills? Why yeah. don't we? And and, and you, you have had these problems with Likert skills where you're like, okay, but what? does the middle option mean? Mm-hmm. Should I say that is neutral or should you just not put anything above there yeah. because I'm not sure what it means? And here you're just making this part very explicit yes. based on the previous steps you've done. Mm-hmm. It just, it's, yeah. So just sensible. Sounds like <laughs> sensible, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, but but of course it's a little bit harder, right? It's much harder yeah. because then you have to come up instead of one one single statement, you have to be like, you have to come up with five statements that map onto exactly yeah. to your levels. And that's, and they have to, you know, have certain properties and stuff, which I'm not going to. But it's like it's much harder to do mm-hmm. when you yeah. start writing them. You're like, God, this is uh, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. But I do have the feeling that you're increasing the data quality. Yeah. Um, oh, if yeah, you yeah. Go yeah. through this approach Absolutely. because you just have so many questions about, yeah, what do they mean with the seven, or how uh, do they mean the extreme endpoints of the scale? You know, they will not give the extreme endpoints, but you sort of. It feels like, I mean, there's probably more yeah. research on this, but like you're circumventing some of these problems that I yeah. typically have with my seven point skills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you don't know. Yeah, like how to, and, and again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, inter- it helps with an inter- interpretation, right? Because then you can yeah. be, when they pick that uh, one option, you know that they picked, you know, the qualitative option exactly. as opposed to just yeah. a number. And then you can yeah. be sure that it maps back on to where you think yeah. it should be on the on your continuum. Yeah. And yeah, and it helps you with the confidence you have in what you are measuring, right. in what the numbers you're computing actually mean. Right. So I think that's the really yeah. strong part about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Mark is also a big advocate of having like non-applicable on all items, like mm-hmm. NAs, which is not something mm-hmm. we do. But I mean, I so mm-hmm. recently I was coding some qualitative interviews, um, f- you know, for for a project with a colleague and. A lot of people, like, I mean, these were like hour-long interviews with people that mm-hmm. you kind of read the transcript of. And a lot of them do mention, oh, the, like, this is so much better than doing a survey because sometimes the items just don't fit. And you're sort of mm-hmm. forced to choose mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, like, how often does it happen? I mean, I think there's some debate. Like, there's some people who are not that in favor of um, NA. So I think, you know, it's, it's I mm-hmm. guess, debatable. But Mark is an advocate of having that because sometimes things, you know, really don't fit. And then you should be allowed to be say like no, and then you can have a category in your waypoint, right? It's like the lowest level, but also sort of underneath that is like not applicable or something like that. Yeah, right. I mean, I just skip that always because it just leads to missing data, yeah. and it just makes yeah. things more complex. It does, and I just force people to you know press a Give number. Give nonsense and answers. If they yeah. have pressed the numbers, then it means something, you know. Then then I just analyze it because yeah. you know it's a number. It's a number. They yeah. mean they mean something. Surely, I, I will say they mean something. Yeah, we will <laughs> exactly. interpret it anyway. Yeah, so yeah. that's you're. I mean, you're absolutely right. It does make it trickier because then you have to even think about well, what does the NA mean here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it does complicate your analyses and sort of interpretation a little bit. But yeah, um, that might be a conversation for a whole other time. Okay, so that's our outcome space. Um, we've done that. So now we've step three. Step three. This is step three. This is step four. three mm-hmm. of four. So now we're done. We know okay what our items are. How are we going to map the observations, the responses to these items or tasks? Right, item is being used sort of in a generic way here. How are we going to map them on to our point levels on the construct? Mm-hmm. That's our mm-hmm. outcome space. The third one, and the final 
building block, our favorite, is the calibration model or the measurement model. So this is now where the creating of a scale comes in. Um, so this is the statistical model, sort of that what we call sort of measurement model, where you're then, yeah, taking your qualitative levels, turning them into numbers, and then applying a model to it to see if it actually fits. And here you would do sort of the more you know, standard things like assessing fit, like does it do the data fit the model? And Roche models are a lot more sort of, um, they're demanding. Like they're mm-hmm. more demanding. They have certain requirements. It has to fit a sort of s- certain structure. And of course you could do it with other things, right? Even, but but the idea is you're using all the information. So factor analysis, of course, th- the issue with mm-hmm. that is that you're losing so much information because you're turning everything into correlations, right? And here you actually... That, that, that's yeah. a bit of a technical comment. Oh, I'm just going to re- respond here. This is probably for many people. Sorry. I mean myself. I mean myself. A bit of a technical... Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, of course. I mean, uh, uh, you lose a lot of information where you turn uh, factor analysis, you turn things into correlations, and we'll leave the proof to the reader. <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe I will not go there. But the idea is that at least in this world, you're doing sort of item response modeling where you're taking and the benefit, I mean, what people don't realize is that when you use item level data, um, right? I mean, think about it, right? If you're taking the mean, there's measurement error associated with every observation, mm-hmm. right? And the if you don't account for that. The effects you're getting are actually smaller, right? Your your effects are attenuated because you have not accounted for the fact that there's measurement error associated with mm-hmm. it, right? So as long as you can use the item level data and you can use sort of your you know standard errors from all of the items in your models, then you're actually helping. You're getting better results because you're you're sort of taking into account that there's error associated with it, and we sort of account for that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. So mm-hmm. this is the Herbert would do sort of yeah usual things like yeah, does a model fit the data? Right, we calculate, yeah. you know, correlations, and then we make sure that the model is fitting well. Am I seeing evidence for these qualitative levels? Yeah, you know, you're tying them. You're back tying to them the back exactly, step. right? Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you mm-hmm. do see. So you do see item level data, and there's you know certain statistics that we use. Like, is is the amount mm-hmm. of variation or variance in the item match what the model expects it to be? Right, yeah. and in sometimes yeah. some cases, you see, okay, this item is so predictable. That it has, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, like I can predict what the responses on this item is going to be from other items, right? So maybe yeah. I want to rethink if I want to have this model, right? So you do sort of item level, you do some yeah. sort, of, sort of generic fit statistics, but usually we do actually go a lot more into like item level stuff. Like, oh, are the mm-hmm. items working the way we suppose them to, right? Is a variance yeah. that is the variance that the model expects, does that match, you know, map, map on to like what we actually see? Um, yeah. And so you do a lot of and- that sort of, yeah. Yeah. And through this iterative process, yes. you could go back and, you know, improve yeah. either items, but also levels, you know, yeah. you could also yeah. add more detail, like, okay, I need some more variation here. I'm missing yeah. something here. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But but all of this, this process, which is, um, you know, um, getting us to a measure where we can actually trust the quantification that, mm-hmm. that follows from yeah. it, right? So we have this measurement process, which really has the goal to start from, you know, exactly as we talked in these older papers, like bridging the qualitative to the quantitative exactly. in a way that you can explain yes. exactly what happened yeah. in a very meaningful way. So you can have confidence in the numbers that you're computing at the end. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And so from the kind of whatever you did, the evidence you get, then you tie it back to the construct map, right? I said, I yeah. thought there were going to be five levels. Do I actually see evidence or no? Actually, it looks like three would be enough, right? I just need three yeah. different levels and I can change, you know, maybe I realize something from my data and it turns out that, you know, items are not working the way I think or like, like, am I going to call it something else? I'm going to change something or this item really doesn't fit with the rest of them. So maybe it's not actually tapping into the thing that I'm tapping that I needed to tap into. Right. So you you yeah. always sort of go back to your constructs at the end and then do the process again. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and then yeah, then you 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 yeah, you bridge that gap, like you say, between the qualitative mm. and the quantitative, mm. which which is really that that is sort of the scientific way of doing yeah. something like this, right? Where you're always yeah. like, Oh, this was what I hypothesized, and I'm gonna make sure that there's a link between what I think, how I'm measuring it, right? How I'm actually yeah. getting the responses, and then I, you know, do the crunch of the numbers, but then does that make sense for the original theory? Right. Yeah. 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 And you also learn a lot. I mean, I remember talking about the work that you've done in your mm -hmm. thesis. You also learn a lot about what you're actually doing. Right. So throughout this whole process, you're really reflecting on, but what, what do I want to know? Right. And, you know, how am I going to yeah. get at this? And uh, instead of just taking something off the shelf right. somewhere, we pretend that this is the yeah. the way to do it, yeah. basically. And I mean, which it, is very nice. Which, yeah, it is very. And, you know, again, it's so hard to do well. So even in my thesis, right? I mean, I do have a lot of measures in there that I didn't create myself and that I just had to take. And they all, you know, a lot of them do use Likert scales. It's unfortunate, but you can only do this really, really well for one thing at a time. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's but it does. But it does make you appreciate quite a quite a bit like how difficult the process is. Right. If you really want to measure things well. Um, and 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 be, yeah. be and trust that. And of course, the good thing about this is that you end up with a scale which again, not to go too technical, but it's in logit. So you do know that it has the properties that you think it has, right? Mm. Like it, it is an, on an interval scale, which means that if you're running any kind of other analyses, which require you to, right? Like it actually hold those properties hold um, for yeah. the numbers that you get out of them. So, so that's also yeah. great, right? Yeah. It, so is, it is literally a scale, like being on, you know, two points above and yeah. two points below. It literally means, you know, um, yeah. what we think in so these subsequent statistical yeah. steps so now we're really talking about like creating a quantified number basically measuring something and, and in the beginning we mainly talked about the statistical yeah. part but of course they have to go together and one of the nice things is this property that yes for certain assumptions yeah underlying your statistical test because that is also one way right. in which Stark doesn't like yeah. the quantification that people yeah. just ignore a lot of assumptions and just yeah. calculate the number and they're like oh I actually don't know if this is parametric or not but you know my, my software only gives me the parametric yeah, option so exactly. let's just trust it is right. in this case you can actually trust it and you can argue for why right. Uh, you are thinking that it's fine. It's actually fine. Yeah exactly mm, right because yeah. I mean who's to say that you shouldn't be treating all your Likert scale items like ordinal Right. Yeah. yeah. Effectively, mm, they are mm. ordinal. Right. It's not they yeah. don't have the properties of you know interval and ratio like yeah. we think they do, and but we do treat them like like they do, and it's like well, no, you have to have you need to show that they do, and you know. Yeah. Well, this is one of those common uh, uh, debates that comes up. Like, can mm. we treat a Likert scale a scale like this or not? Yeah. And then people are like, yeah, of, often it is fine. Yeah. Which to me always sounds a little bit mm. like, yeah, that's what I would say to make my own life easier. You know, <laughs> yeah. often it's fine. Maybe it's maybe it is fine, mm. but I mean, it's you know, I doubt it because yeah. it's. I mean, uh, it's an easy option. Uh, but in this process, you end up with a right. measure where you don't have to worry about that stuff so much, which is also nice. Which yeah. is also nice. I like I like that we have a bit of a solution. We were. 
we were in our podcast getting a little bit, you know, <laughs> pointing out the, pointing out the, yeah, the problems, the limitations, and things are yeah. going wrong for a while, yeah. and uh, you know, things people are doing not well, yeah. and uh, it's nice to be able to present people with such a nice overview of uh, a way to prevent. Yeah. Quantification in yeah. the end, so we can yeah. explain what the problem is, but also how to prevent it. How yeah. nice! Yeah. How nice <laughs> yeah. we're ending up this yeah. way. Yeah. I feel, uh, I feel optimistic <laughs> about a, my ability. On a, yeah, on, on a scale of one to <laughs> one to seven, Daniel, how optimistic? I, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel that if people just use this kind of measurement approach yeah. in the future, it might not, it might not be that bad in, yeah. in our field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where am I on my? Are you a construct map? Is that no? Well, yeah, on a scale of yeah, yeah, on a liquid. I, I remember <laughs> the same talk where the person sort of questioned me. I started it with uh, on on a scale of one to seven. How meaningful do you think liquid scales are? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess. Which no, you but know then, what? Uh, I was actually yeah. quite surprised that a lot of them did select. You know, were pretty high, like six. You know, five and six is a lot of them. And I, but I was like, oh, it's you're just trying to. Like you said, right? Just making life easier for yourself. Because if you say no, yeah. then you have to be like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. 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 No, but now we can create, yeah, we we'll give people some some practical uh, guidance. Yeah. Like, um, we will, uh, we should put some stuff in our show notes yeah, yeah, about yeah. this. Yeah. And I'll put uh, Mark, like I mean, Mark has a great book, um, mm-hmm. you know, Constructing mm-hmm. Measures, which goes through it. Yeah. Um, it's like a yeah. introductory into how to do this process. It's pretty, yeah. pretty, I mean, I've read almost, yeah, through it and it's pretty great. Yeah. You know? No, I, I read it as well before. Uh, I I think before we talked about these things mm. and then you even work with Mark, yeah. I came across this book. And it's also, I have to say, one of the first books where I personally, I'm not a measurement right. expert at all, you know, but well, I, I wanted to learn it. a yeah. bit more about mm-hmm. it. But where I thought, okay, but this is getting close to stuff where I feel like, yeah, this is practical stuff yeah. that I could really yeah. do, you know, because mm-hmm. there's some other books which, yeah, are very philosophical or technical about measurement yeah. or they say, yeah, I mean, we can't measure anything. I yeah. mean, in, in uh, psychology at all, it's not mm-hmm. a real measure yeah. and stuff. And, and but this is the first one where I also thought like, oh, yeah. this is such a nice pragmatic sort of perspective on it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, let's hope that some people uh, follow up Look and uh, it. explore it some more yeah. and prevent their own quant- quantification. Quantification, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's such a nice word. It's such a great word (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode of nullius in verba our theme song is newton's cradle by grand brothers if you have any thoughts feedback or comments you'd like to share you can reach us over email at nullius in verba pod at gmail.com or our social media accounts at mastodon or twitter in this episode we discussed quantification and reflected on the importance of carefully thinking about the measurement process so that we can trust that the numbers we compute are actually meaningful. In the next episode, we will discuss the peer review process. How does a peer review process work? In what ways does it not work? And what are some recent developments that aim to improve the process? We hope you will join us.